Hey there, it's Ben. I'm just going to give a quick shout-out to our patrons. The most recent is Daryl Allen, who has started to back us on Patreon, donating through there and through the coffee, like Daryl has also done. This helps us out with maintaining our equipment and making sure that on Tales and Heroes, we can keep doing the quality podcast that we are currently doing. If you want to be like them, you can at patreon.com slash the way or at ko-fi.com slash the way. Thank you, and now on to the show. after the bell rings to see one confused Leslie and one dead Zabrak on the landing ramp. Uh, Leslie, would you care to explain? I was just bringing the pizza and he was already here. Why didn't you tell me you ordered delivery? I shift the pizza box uncomfortably, looking at the sprawled body. Ben, did you want a side of corpse? Did you find anything with him? I was expecting a Zabrak with a very distinctive package. It might have been ticking, loudly. Uh, oh dear. Join us for a mysterious tale from the Hydean Way, where your host, Ben Yendel. And Risa D. With special guest, Leslie Troutman. And then there was Leslie. Okay, so there's this thing that I've noticed that I like to think of as being lost in translation. You're telling a story, and you're explaining something to your players, or you're a player explaining something to other players or your GM, and it's just so obvious that this thing is this thing. But they just can't get it, and you don't know why they can't get it. And I'm usually the block, not not the, the sharp getting it person. I'm the dull lump of wood going, what? So how do you get details across to your players without saying, this thing is this thing? My biggest thing for making sure I get my details across to my players, at least, is anything that isn't important, I don't describe. Everything that I need them to understand, I will describe. They start listening to what I'm describing because it makes more sense. So if I'm telling them they're walking down a street and I say there are flyers on the wall, they know that I haven't been describing anything else. So that's something that they want to pay attention to, right? So it's important to not describe too much in detail things that don't matter and instead describe what you want them to look at in more detail. Think of it like in a cartoon, like the background cells are sometimes really <laughs> low in detail. And the things like Scooby-Doo, this is, I always think of Scooby-Doo, and the things that are going to move on the screen are really <laughs> detailed. <laughs> yeah, you see it in the old Disney movies too. Yeah, yeah. You, they were done in animation cells instead of the background, right? Mm -hmm. So think about the things that you want your players to understand do them on animation cells for them so that they stand out and you know it's a layering effect. That's like the first thing to do for if you're trying to get something across as a clue or something. That's the first thing to do because if I start describing a scene to people and I go in depth, the same depth in description on everything in the room, there's no way for anyone to know what I'm trying to pull attention to. That's when they're going to latch on to the bronze bust of Shakespeare that's just <laughs> sitting in a sconce, and they're yeah. going to start probing it, like yeah. trying to tilt the head back, see if there's a button in the neck or something. If you don't have something stand out in your description, then everything seems the same, so they're going to go after whatever strikes their fancy instead of what you want them to go after. <laughs> okay. 
So let me add another wrinkle. Okay. If I may, unless you want me to wait. No, no, no. Wrinkle away. I wish I had a handy piece of paper so I could wrinkle at you, but it's across. <laughs> That's crinkling. Slightly different. <laughs> yeah. Nearest makes no difference. So, okay. So say you're doing something with a mystery component. I know you guys have discussed mysteries, but humor me. Oh, I'll talk about mysteries all day, every day. Continue. I really want to be in one of your mystery games. It sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you've got this murder. So there's a, you've got a corpse. Mm-hmm. So obviously they want to investigate the corpse. But you have five suspects. Mm-hmm. And you want to kind of seed the suspects without going too high detail. So how do you seed a variety of things? It's like scaling up from one, I guess. What I just described... The Chadrafan with a funny limp, the Chiss with a broken beer bottle, the Elom with a funny hat, the Basilisk with a mischievous smile, and the Droid with no head. See, suspects. It really depends on how you're going about the mystery. It's There's no right or wrong answer on how to introduce suspects, like, in general. It just depends on the context of the murder, right? <laughs> who are your players and why are they trying to solve the murder? Are they people who are investigating the murder because they are, you know, Imperials who are the police to solve the murder? Are they people who know the murder victim who are trying to solve the murder to get justice? Or are they maybe some rebels who are having the murder pinned on them? Why are they trying to solve the murder? That's the first thing for me to know, right? Because that's going to affect how I introduce the suspects. Because if it's just a police story, right, then you can just list it off, right? Mm -hmm. I can just look at someone and say, so. You have five files. Yeah, brief me who are the suspects, right? Then we can have that kind of thing, like how you just described it. However, if it's something like, I am trying to just get justice for my friend's murder, we can't quite do it like that. We're going to have to figure out... Who was there at the time? Who had the motive? And it needs to spread out more naturally, right? A little bit more naturally. And it also depends on when you found the body. Are we finding the body at the beginning of the mystery? Or have we already established knowing (laughs) these people beforehand before the body is found? So much of that, and especially so much of the characters and the mystery around it, is focused in on the story of the victim. Yeah, definitely. If you're doing one where it's... The player group is being framed, the player group is out for justice, or the player group is the cops. Like, any which way you're looking at it, there's the story of the dead person. It's at that point where most cop procedurals lose their way because they lose Mm -hmm. focus on that. They lose focus on the procedural and start just becoming the melodrama of whichever telenovela they are. (laughs) (laughs) And who has amnesia in the episode? Exactly. Hey, there was like three episodes of Castle that had amnesia in it. Amazing. That's very important, too. Like, Poirot is one of those things where he always was talking about trying to find more out about the victim. That's always his big thing. He's always trying to find out about who the victim is. If you figure out who the victim is, then you'll be able to find out. If you find out what type of person the victim is, you'll find out why they were murdered. And if you find out why they're murdered, then you'll find out who murdered them. Yeah. That's the easiest way to do it. Easiest way. (laughs) Sorry. I'm like, yes, that's the easiest way to figure out murder. But the idea being is that in anyone's life, there's a bunch of people that the victim has done ill to, and they Mm -hmm. all have some version of a motive to it. Yep. And at some point, as a GM, you just sort of 
throw your hands up and say, yeah, the one that the players have figured out is the right one. Sometimes. <laughs> it's fun that okay. way. So we've got suspects. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, I didn't mean this to apply specifically to a mystery, but that's just the first thing I thought of. I, I'm always happy to talk about mysteries, though. So We'll just blame Risa for mysteries, then. And Scooby-Dooness, which is always good. Okay, so we've got your suspects. Now we've got a crime scene. Mm-hmm. Now, how much, since this is a dice-based game, this question would work honestly for either narrative or d20 or 3d6 or whatever you're doing, how do you layer in details at the crime scene for them to notice without saying, there's this pen in a stand and it looks like there's a crust of blood on it? That, that's another <laughs> thing. You want details, but you don't want to... Well, uh, except... Except. They need to happen, right? So if you want to set physical clues for them to figure it out, which physical clues aren't necessary to solve a crime, but they're fun for your players. We all know that players love finding physical clues when they're doing a mystery, even if it's not like a murder mystery or something, even if you're just like trying to find a person for a bounty, right? Or if you're trying to find like clues about where an item has been hidden or something like that. Clues are super fun for your players. So even though as like, if I was writing a mystery, like like as a, as writing a mystery, I wouldn't include physical clues like that. However, when I'm running it, I do because they love it. You want to have a certain amount of clues per room or per scene, and you have to order them on what is the most important and what is the least important. What do they need to find to progress the story and what is just going to make it easier on them? I usually do like about five things in a room. One thing they need to find. And in that one thing, I'm going to make it so that they have to find it no matter what. Even if they fail all roles. They're walking in, I'm like, can you do a vigilance check? If no one is like, I'm going to do a perception check, because that would be perfect, right? First things first. Mm -hmm. Someone walks into the room and goes, I'm going to look around for clues. If no one does that, I go, okay, make a vigilance check. See if anyone notices the clues. If they fail, I still have that one clue I want them to find, that they have to find. So they failed this vigilance check of finding that big red bloody handprint, which we've used this specifically before. Instead of them noticing the red bloody handprint, they, I don't know, slip on it. (laughs) Okay. They've failed that vigilance check to see it, or the big bloody pool, right? A pool of blood. They've missed Mm -hmm. that in their vigilance check. So they failed that, so now they've slipped on the blood and fallen. (laughs) Okay, so now now we've got a new question. Okay. Kind of a sideways question of the same thing. There's a big bloody handprint. Mm-hmm. Sure. And they've all failed their roles because, let's be honest, sometimes dice are jerks. Yeah. Yes. Yes, the one is. <laughs> I wasn't going to point fingers, but... I'm just saying, yes. I've said this, D1 loves one of my players. She rolls fantastically every single time. <laughs> Do you know how many triumphs she rolls? It's ridiculous. I think I know where all our good rolls went, Ben. Yeah, it's her. <laughs> Says you. I've got great rolls. <laughs> yeah, we can't all be me and Christine, can we? <laughs> There's this bloody handprint. They've all failed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you give it to them straight so they slipped in the blood, or do you kind of penalize them for having not gotten it? Like, they still have the clue, but maybe it's harder to use. Like, so somebody slipped and fell, it's now on their pants, and it's smudged. Using the, you have now missed the pool of blood, and then slipping and falling, the thing that just sort of jumps out at me is, okay, you're now half covered in blood, and you're going to have to explain this to someone. Yeah. Because the piece of the mystery is not going to allow you to go home 
and change your pants, which are now soaked in blood. If you are trying to prove you're not the murderer, and now you've slipped in the in someone's blood and you're covered in blood, that's how I would be punishing you for failing that role. Is now it's making it look even worse. It's making it look like it's even more your fault. Like, oh no, I totally didn't murder them. I'm just covered in their blood. <laughs> it was totally innocent, I promise. I would never do it if, if it's the clue that they need to proceed in my story that I have crafted. I need to give them that clue. And I'm, I need to not make it hard for them to use that clue. Otherwise, I'm shooting myself in the foot as the GM if I am giving them the only clue that they actually need and making it so they can't use it, that's making it hard on myself. Okay. Yeah. So even if, like, they failed that role, I still need to give it to them. If they generated a lot of threat, if we're playing Star Wars or something, I can do a lot of things with that threat that doesn't negate finding that clue. I can generate the threat being like, now people think that you're more likely to be the murderer. Someone has caught on that you found the blood. Anything like that. Talking about this just kind of gets me thinking of a darkly funny Shane Black movie called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. (laughs) Someone walks in, finds a body that they have been looking for. They're lying in a shower and through semi-comical means, a bunch of DNA from the person who finds him winds up on the body. They do the classic movie thing of wrapping them up in the shower curtain, carting them out. (laughs) The thing you're not supposed to do at all. They do exactly what you're not supposed to. <laughs> I really like the movie because it just takes everything of what you're, you think you should do, or at least movies tell you, and then shows you exactly why not. <laughs> the, the, the vagueness of your description is, is leaving my mind open to more disturbing, more and more disturbing thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> it's Shane Black with Al Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr. starring, and I regretfully cannot remember the name of the female lead at the moment. These are all names that I recognize. Um, <laughs> that's as far as I'll go. I'm sort of using it as an example of someone going into a room, completely failing their vigilance check, completely failing a perception check, because they went there to investigate things, and then... It just so happens, like, out of the corner of their eye, they notice something, and then horrible things happen. They fail with a bunch of threat on it. You still (laughs) give the player a critical path forward so that you're not, like, you aren't shooting yourself in the foot. You're also kind of making fun of the character and making fun of the dice, but you're also not punishing them because, oh, you failed. Well, that ends this. Yeah. Okay. On the other hand, all the flavor stuff that goes with it, the side quest you had with this victim's brother and all that sort of stuff, <laughs> that's out the window. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Conveniently bypassed, or inconveniently so. The critical path forward to make sure that the adventure doesn't grind to a halt, that's given. All the fun stuff otherwise, yeah, players shall never know of. For me, this is this is my my rule for myself, is that if a player fails a role, I try to not like punish them for it punish them for it like yeah i'll give them like what happens with the role what happens with the role like if they make a bad choice i'll punish them for that with the game so if they decide to do something like move the body you know do weekend with bernie's with the body that's their choice right they chose to do something then then i will choose to punish them inside the mystery but if they are making choices that are making sense but then they're failing with the dice i won't punish them for that as such right because they're still 
making good choices. It's the dice that are doing something that that role has been ruined. Yes, what they're trying to do at this very moment, they cannot do. But I'm not going to be like, well, that ruined the entire fun side plot for you. <laughs> Sucks to be you. I'm not going to do that to them, <laughs> <Fair>. right? <laughs> Very fair. You're not going to do that and say it to them or, you know. I have said that when they do things like running from the cops. But <laughs> Yeah, well, that guy's never going to live it down. No, he's not. Like, Risa, you had said there's like five clues in a scene. Mm -hmm. It's not like there's the one scene with just those five clues. Yeah. That's kind of how I also try and run my side quests, so that my side quests have several hooks to get into it. Like, you're not getting the ticket to the Super Bowl that was left in yeah. a bloody pool. You're getting, in a later scene, the pictures at the 50-yard line? I don't know. Something like that. I don't know. Football. I'm up here with the CFL. It It's more interesting to me. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it's these particular bits of flavor are out. You've got other chances at different bits of flavor. Yeah. For this scene, for this dice roll, you've got a bunch of threat. Well, now this bunch of threat is having to be dealt with. You failed the roll, so you're still getting the main clue, but you may not get any of the extra clues that you have stored for extra successes, or you might not get the things that I had set aside for the advantages. But later on, you might get on other things that are related to those. Yeah. And I guess that's like that's my whole mystery thing is my players aren't just following a single thread mm -hmm. of we shall be going from here to this point. And however it snakes, family circle style, it isn't just the one thread. There's like a dozen of them. And a couple other side plots and why there is a weird trying to the force off in this one direction because it was somewhat crucial to a friend of the victims and things like that. It's like this stuff will still show up because it's a cool story, but from scene to scene, things change. Yeah. Okay. That's good. I'm, I would like to continue with the mystery for just one moment longer and then uh, try another direction. Okay. Now you've got your players following these clues. How do you redirect them if they've got a hold of the wrong end of the stick? Hit them with the stick. <laughs> if the session's running long and and you you need to like okay, you guys only have 3 nights to do this and then everybody, you know, flies to the ends of the earth like people do as adults. Yeah. Mhm. Mm how how do you get them like they've grasped all your clues but now they're running wild? I close off alleyways. I stop them from following that. I mean, if you think about it, like with murder mysteries, right? What happens when someone goes after the wrong person for too long? That person dies. Okay, fair enough. If they have put all their eggs in one basket and they're like, oh, it's totally going to be this person. And they, they are totally going after this person who was definitely not the person who really did it. That person's going to show up dead. That's how the genre goes. <laughs> like, so play into your genre for one thing. And then there's always a second body. There is in Murder Mysteries. There's always a second body in Act 2, usually. That's my suggestion, especially if they're really going hard after someone and you have a little bit of time left. Just kill that person. <laughs> have them show up dead. That sounds really bad out of context. Kill that yes. character. You're, character. You're really kind of worrying me right now. The character. Yeah. I apologize. I'll stop saying people. <laughs> kill the character so that they stop going after them and then plant crucial 
clues at that crime scene that will reinforce the real person who did it. I mean, I always write that kind the of thing. The real character who did it. The real character who did it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Characters. Characters who do it. I... Oh, 100% worth it. Other side of it, if you're getting to the very end and they really think it's one person, then it's that person. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Worst comes to worst, let their clues be substantiated. Yeah. In the end, is it going to be more satisfactory for everyone that you have your own little twist at the end proving that this one that they all had written off in the first five minutes and didn't suspect at all, there were no other clues that they picked up were pointing at or everyone's going at the person just sort of sitting at the uh, bar who looks somewhat ramshackled and blood-soaked, but really they're just from a meat packer. You can have your own perfect solution, and then you haven't communicated it to the players, and you're getting to the end. Why not give the players the satisfaction of actually succeeding? Yeah. Okay. That's actually a really, a really nice way of putting it. Everyone will be more satisfied if they solve it. Even if it means that you as the GM don't have it go exactly as you want it to. And that's why it's always best to leave everything a little loose and to have different possible endings Bing. in your idea when you're planning it. Any mystery, really. Think of it like as a choose-your-own-adventure mm -hmm. when you're making your notes. Because... Especially when you're doing it as like a mystery because it has a set plot that you are seeing in your head. And that's not going to come out how you want it when your players get to it. <laughs> no. Because your players aren't Nancy Drew. So they're not going to do exactly what you think they're going to do. They're also not in your head. Exactly. So they're going to do incredibly fun things and... Like cornering the bad guy in their office instead of going to the police because they're like, you know what we should do? We should go confront him ourselves. And I'm like, oh, sure. Of course you are. That's a grand idea. Yeah. It's like, good. Of course. Yes. I totally was planning for this. Cool. <laughs> so they'll do stuff like that. Look at like me. That. Be prepared. They'll do stuff like that. So you just have to keep it loose. Okay. And, and it's just going to be more fun. Because no one's going to want it to be... And then you caught the wrong person, and the person who really did it got off scot-free because you guys went after the wrong person. Here's one of the things that it's sort of a shifting of the mentality. If you have like two or three NPCs that could have done it, then it's a mystery for everyone. And at the very end, okay, yeah, this is a person that this time the players have decided is the killer. And then you can play up that, yeah, it, it's this character. It's the old nemesis that has shown back up into town for one night due to a relations wedding. They're here to settle scores. That actually almost sounds more like it's going to end up being a romantic comedy. <laughs> and here I was going with, wow, that really sounds like a fiasco setup. <laughs> yeah, no, I can see that too. Which could, you know, go either horribly murderous or romantic comedy. <laughs> totally. <laughs> or murderous romantic comedy. That also would work. Yeah. All right. So that's mysteries. Okay. Can I move to another kind of flip side? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, as a GM, all of your plots are going to be mysteries to some extent. Yes. That That is the nature of it because they don't live inside your head. And, and if they did, 
they already knew, so what's the point of the game? Exactly. Um, then it turns into a but, board oh, game. You can just become an author if you want to do that. I actually do know a few GMs who would be better authors. That's why I'm a GM instead, because then I don't have to write dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> it's your it's your trick to avoiding certain aspects of exactly. it all. Exactly. I make them Fair do all dialogue for me. Or for me, I've got this whole thing of, well, I really don't like figuring out my own endings, so yeah, y'all do that. <laughs> Yes, that is what was going to happen all along. All along. That's a mystery, and that is a mystery plot specific. Okay. Sure. But like I said, everything is kind of going to be a mystery because they don't live in your head, and that's the point of the game. Mm -hmm. This is a, a for instance. I've got these players that are meeting a contact, maybe a friend of a friend, for whatever purpose. Maybe it's bounty hunting, maybe it's legitimate freightsman stuff, maybe it is imperial nonsense. Maybe it's rebel nonsense. Who knows? But they're meeting a contact. How do I draw attention to certain aspects? Again, this is like, I want the, them to kind of be interested in this contact directly and maybe investigate them, but without, you know, have them stroking a white cat, raising an arched eyebrow, and <laughs> monitoring their piranha tank. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a full-out Bond villain. <laughs> I am inclined to agree, but that's how do you play it subtle, for instance? Let's, let's Oh, subtle, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> subtle? In an RPG? Is, that, is, 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 is subtlety an option? Put it that way. I and mean, if it's It all depends yes. on the group. I know, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so have have you guys I, I don't know if it's in the magic of Netflix Canada, Ben, so I I don't know. But there is on Netflix currently a show called The New Legends of Monkey. New Legends of Monkey. I am 100% in love with this. It is a New Zealand Netflix production, purportedly. Yeah, it's a Netflix-branded thing. And it is a retelling of of the monkey uh, legends. You know, the monkey king and gods and demons and whatnot. Sure. In a loosely Asian-esque... Obviously, that is where it came from, but it is not... It is very stylized. Mm -hmm. So, in it... And this is not a spoiler because it is the first episode. Your main character, Tripitaka is not who they are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Because the actual Tripitaka was horribly murdered. And so this girl who was raised by the scholar who is guiding the monk takes his place. And so this whole show, it seems really over the top. It's, it's kind of like, I feel like there are two different levels. In the world, this is totally subtle and well disguised. But because they're showing an audience, what the audience sees has to be exaggerated. Mm -hmm. So... This young lady that is Tripitaka is very feminine looking. It's not a, you know, really solid disguise kind of thing. And, and you know, she, she screams. It, it's very obvious that she is, to the watcher, mm -hmm. that she's a girl. And I mean, part of that is you, ad admittedly, you go in knowing that she's a chick. Yeah. You see that happen. But nobody in the show, except for like two people, know until the very end. Say you have such a circumstance, but you want your players to kind of try and figure it out. How do you start laying the groundwork for this? Okay, sort of similar to, I have a character that's a Falling masquerading as a Mary Allen. Uh-huh. So, say I want them to figure that out without saying, look at her, that's not how they work. How would you start laying that groundwork? I mean, if you want them to start investigating them, and if you want them to know, hey, this person is definitely not what they seem, 
You need to start doing things like having them contradict themselves on what they say, having them seem unsure about what they're saying, stuff like that. Things to make them suspicious that like what would make someone want to investigate them based on this person's not what they seem. I don't think they're who they say they are. What would make you want to investigate on that as a player? For me, it would be them doing things if I was hearing them like they'd say one thing and then they'd say they directly contradict themselves and then they go, I mean, wait, stuff like that. It doesn't have to be super subtle because it has to be enough that they won't think you're just being a bad GM. Or just unsure. Right. It has to be put on enough and exaggerated enough that they'll notice it. Again, you don't want to just be like, this person looks like this. And I mean, you can do things like what I've done in the past for I had a character who had a giant scar, but she was covering it up because when she was in, uh, she was well known for her scar. But when she didn't have her scar, people didn't know who she was, basically, because she wasn't very remarkable looking otherwise. So I said at one point, someone was like, what does she look like? And I was like, okay, well, she's a normal Togruta. She looks, but she does look like she has a lot of makeup on. And that caught their attention. Okay. They're like, why does she have a lot of makeup on? So that hat got them going. It looked like she had a lot of makeup on. Wonder why? Anything like that, especially if you're trying to cover up a species, something like you're trying to... It's kind of going back to one of the first things that you said, Risa. You can only be so subtle with people. Yeah. Sometimes if they've got the wrong end of the clue stick, you kind of like whack them on the head with it. (laughs) If you're trying to do their one species disguised as another, it's in what you're describing. Since what you're trying to do and train the players into learning is that whatever you describe is worth paying attention to and isn't just set dressing to create a mood, though that is also an amazingly useful and valid thing. It's when you're moving beyond the set dressing, it's what you mentioned, the well-put-together shop place that has a register that has a bunch of little Funko Pops sitting around. They're not going to remember the well-put-together shop. They're not going to remember anything. They're just going to remember the Funkos. Some of it's the last detail you put out. Some of it's just this is the extra bit of detail that you've tossed on. Like there's a Rodian with a bunny on his head. Something like that. It's either going to be like outside of what they're expecting or it's going to be that little bit of extra detail that mentally in like two, three moments they're going to go, wait, what? Did yeah. Ben just say bunny on a Rodian's head? <laughs> I mean, what a surprise. <laughs> Why would Ben say things like this? But it's like, you have to think about how your example of the Feline trying to pretend to be uh, Marillion, you have to think about what would they have to do to make themselves look like that? Yeah. What would they have to do to themselves to disguise themselves as that? And that's what you need to draw attention to. Okay. So, like, Viv is green. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wears... Two main components to her disguise. She wears a wig. Okay. Which is is pretty... It's pretty noticeable. (laughs) And over top of the wig, she actually wears an eye patch. Not like ye olde pirate thin strap. Like a a broad over the eye. And it's more almost like a bandana Mm. tied. Because they're both green, you've got that going for her. She does obviously have the makeup with fake tattoos. Yeah. Oh, I would definitely call attention to... Do those tattoos... Did they... Are those the same tattoos as they were yesterday? 
<laughs> Something like that. Viv's having a bad day. Yeah, like accidentally missing one of the diamonds. Okay. Definitely because of the tattoos or hair that looks oddly shiny. Because wigs. Wigs <laughs> are always really shiny. Yeah, right? wigs do tend to have a lot of sheen. They look really plasticky. Something like drawing attention to something about the wig, right? Uh, it looks a little lopsided or something like that, you know? Yeah, it's one of those things if you kind of need to make it obvious or contradicting enough that yeah. the players are going to get interested. Like, if you know some of the hooks that the players will just automatically glom onto, you drop those. Okay. The makeup thing that Risa said earlier is a great one. It's like, yeah, this looks like really extra amounts of makeup on. Then people are going to start asking, well, why? Yeah. It may not be immediately, oh my, this is exactly the direction we need to go. It just could be a little niggling detail in the back. It starts becoming a clue trail. Who is that dapperly dressed Twilight? Something along that lines. Yeah. No Twilight I know. <laughs> Any further questions? That was kind of it. I'm kind of mulling over current endeavors and, and seeing like, I, I know I've, I've, I've run a one shot, the same one I'm going to be running for a pair of very specific people in the very near future <laughs> a couple times now. And I've successfully kind of gotten a number of concepts across without, you know, getting my hit and stick about. <laughs> but I'm, I'm trying to think of just... Other things, like, I, I feel like finding that balance between saying, uh, okay, have you guys ever seen the movie Castle of Cagliostro? No. I cannot say I have. It is a Lupin the Third movie. Lupin the Third being an anime character. Oh, yeah. He's a James Bond Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Okay, Cagliostro is a movie. It's a Miyazaki film from some time ago. But at some point, they're trying to out- a counterfeiting ring. And the way they do that is they manage to get a uh, reporter's camera into this location where the printing press is. And they have their temporary partnership with the police and the police is in there. He's, he's in there saying, what is this? It looks like currency <laughs> from every nation. And he's literally talking like that. So when I think of, of making things too obvious, I always think of from every nation. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure out how you find that balance, but I guess part of it is going to be, like, with all things, getting into a rhythm with your group, knowing where you can go, mm -hmm. knowing what references you can make. Because I can make anime references all the day long with one group of friends, and with the other group, I've got to go Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. For instance, that's not actually accurate, because I'm pretty sure that's complete cr cross-contamination in my group. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it just boils down to, you know, kind of... <laughs> seeing what they can pick up on and then accenting as you go, which sounds like a really lame ending. It's it's like, okay, here's your advice. Figure it out yourself. Well, <laughs> but it is... But, like, you know, that's not fair. In the end, it does come back to every group is different. Every GM is different. So you do have to find your own way. My general biggest piece of advice on this is don't hem yourself into this is the only way. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's getting through a door like, oh no, we have to pick the lock. We have to break it down. We have to bribe the guy who's standing guard while we try and break it down or pick the lock. However you get through the doors, however you get through the door. There's, I don't remember how many skills, two dozen, three dozen. You can get through doors in many different ways. Not quite sure how you leadership a door, but I'm pretty sure we can figure out a way. 
You leadership your Dawutin into opening it with his head. I mean, if you're a <laughs> droid, maybe you could leadership it. Ooh, yes. Oh, so we're going with, like, Hitchhiker's Guide doors? Yes. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Marvin talking to the ship and making it so depressed. Yeah. <laughs> Been talking to the ship's computer. It hates me. <laughs> Whatever the path is for the story you are trying to tell, don't make it down to a single point that can be foiled by a single roll. Whatever has to happen, has to happen. Fair. And then you've, you've, you've given us some ideas of how to make it work one way, how to make it work another way. So how would you guys feel about maybe doing, specifically you guys, uh, maybe having su- just like a sample idea? What do you mean? Set me a scene. Oh. Set, set me a scene with maybe not a murder, but with, with something... To notice. Give me a sec. <laughs> I will give you several. Would you like to hear an actual thing I wrote down in a one shot? Okay, sure. Yes. Oh, Let's you were go. hunting things. I yeah. thought you were writing things. No, I was hunting. This is this is how I did this for my players, right? You guys are my players. So, as you are making your way down to breakfast, you hear a scream and a sound of doors swishing open. A maid runs out of a first-class passenger's room and pukes behind a ficus. What do you do? Why is there a ficus? Because we're on a luxury liner, and, you know, there's a ficus. Don't you have you ever been on a cruise ship? Uh, no. Uh, and the last time I was on a ship that had potted plants, there was a very specific reason there was a potted plant. It was admittedly not a ficus, and it was admittedly made of durasteel, but whatever. <laughs> The obvious thing would be to be- make your way either to the the maid or the room itself. Mm-hmm. Would you talk to the maid? Uh, is she done throwing up? Yeah, she's done throwing up. I guess it depends on the character. Because yeah. if I'm a jerk, I'm going to go see what's going on. If I'm a nice person. If you walk into the room. Yeah, I'll play a jerk. I, I walk past the-, the-, the maid, like, eh, and see what's going on. Okay, you walk past the maid, who you hear crying outside now. <laughs> you walk into the room, and... Uh, if, as you look around, the entire room is in complete disarray. It looks like there has been a major struggle. On the bed, there is a man laying face up with a blaster shot on his chest. His eyes are wide open. What do you do? How do, how do blasters work in Star Wars? Are they just surface wounds? Like it's just scorching? or They sort of hollow out a little bit. Not like go through, but... No, it's just like, a, mostly it looks just like scorching is what... I was about to say, would you expect blood from a blaster wound, basically? No. Okay. Well, it depends. So here's what you can do, right? I just described what the scene looks like, what the man looks like, and you can. there are so many things you can do to get the clues out of the scene. There are three clues you can get out of the scene, four including the one I just gave you, right? I immediately gave you he was shot with a blaster, right? Yep. Because that's something okay. you would just see. You would never have to do a check for that because it's right there in front of your face. So then investigating the clothes that the guy is wearing would mm-hmm. most likely reveal one other clue. Yes. Uh, depending on the role for it, of course. Yeah. D- d- depending on whether or not he's wearing clothing, too. I mean, yeah. For some reason, I thought the clothing was described. Well, he's wearing his pajamas. I wouldn't make you do your role for that. He's wearing his pajamas. They are also scorched. But you could do a check on him, like medicine or perception. I would take either to check out anything else about him, like what type of blaster or anything like that to tell from the shot. Okay. Now, say I were to roll a perception. Mm-hmm. 
in general or on him? I'm going to go in general. Like I walk around the room, I see him, but I don't want to get too far into the room. Mm -hmm. Give me a difficulty, just randomly. Just on the entire room? General room. Just yeah. the general room. It's going to be a hard, just just a hard perception check, nothing more or less. Okay, we'll say that I'm relatively aware and have a, a rank. Yeah. So if you got, if you s succeeded on that perception check on the room, I would say you notice that there's no murder weapon. You do not see the murder weapon. So whoever shot him left with the, with the blaster. Okay, and so I got a success say and two advantages since I just did roll. And two advantages, right? You mm -hmm. notice that some the, the stuff in this room is torn apart. It looks like someone was searching for something. It doesn't look like there was a fight. It looks like it was torn apart because someone was searching. Okay. <laughs> and then, yeah, that definitely sets a direction for the players to start looking. Because exactly. Players would start then looking at different things in the room. Mm -hmm. They would also like probably pat down the person to yeah. see if there's anything there or if there's anything obviously like half there, like yep. the case for something. Yep. All right. So say I came in and failed. And failed? Well, you failed. You know that he was shot with a blaster. Okay. That's what you know. And that still gives me a direction to proceed. Yes. If you tried to do a medicine check on him and you failed, I would say, depending on what you were trying to do, if you're trying to like discern cause of death. I might give you fake information, right? I might tell you like something. Like a misinterpretation of the yeah, facts. Yeah, I might tell you something that's blatantly wrong because you were doing it, right? If you were like, I'm just a random person and I have no medicine skills, but I'm going to try anyway, right? I could be like, you think maybe that he had a heart attack. There's a big old blaster wound on his chest, right? That sounds like a despair. And then you promptly lose all respect from your comrades. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It would be something like that, right? But if you just failed mm -hmm. that perception check, I would have been like, well, you don't see anything interesting. All you see is a dead man who is who has a big blaster wound on his chest. And you had already told me that the room was trashed. Yep. I just wouldn't know that it was trashed with purpose. Exactly. So I already told you everything you needed when you walked into that scene. Yeah. And everything else is there. Mm -hmm. That there is there is is a combination of boost and and color. Yep. Okay. Risa, Leslie, any sort of final thoughts about mysteries and how to present them to players? I think it is all about how you started out with mysteries. That's what I'm going to say. If you try to start it with no prior information to your players, it's going to be harder to get them to go the way you want them to go. But if you give them enough information as it's going, and you always give them that one crucial clue to go from one place to the next, it'll be a lot smoother. Whereas if you just, if you don't give them anything, like if you guys had walked into that room and I hadn't given you any kind of information, and I'd been like, okay, do a perception check before even finding the body, that wouldn't have worked out. Okay, so it's also kind of a know when to actually make people roll aspect. Yep, that's, that's my advice, is you always need to give them that crucial clue from scene to scene. Everything else is just color added onto it to make it more interesting and more fun and to make it easier on them too. But you should always provide them with enough information to solve it, even if they fail their roles. Otherwise, it's just not fair. So give them a rope to tug. Yep. Always. All right, well, I was the one asking questions, so uh, I, I don't really have <laughs> advice other than figure out how to talk to your players. I mean, these are, in theory, people you know, so that yeah. should help. And for those that you don't ask, yeah, if your players are trying to 
look like not understanding the direction that you're wanting it to go. They go into a scene and they're not quite sure on how the scene is supposed to be going. You can supply extra bits of info and you can, depending on how it's going and how much it's flopping, it could just be you completely break out of being a GM and just try and help them and take down the wall between. Give the players their sort of through line and give them as much help as they need. Even as a murder mystery and you've got a murderer on the loose, this is a telling a story. It's supposed to be fun for everyone, so try and keep that mindset. Okay. Thank you. We probably should go. That package is going to cause a bit of a thing. So much of it to do. If the Imperials aren't looking for us now, they will be soon. Did anyone get our poor Subprax name? We'll kind of want to do right by him. I've just been calling him Harry. He's in the barrel-marked Corellian Ale. I tapped the cask thoughtfully. I think Risa was checking out some other lead. I was just trying to be subtle. He had a blank business card in his pocket that I think we can track back to whoever sent him. We just need to get going sooner rather than later if we don't want to call too much attention to ourselves. Join us next time for an intriguing tale from the Hydean Way. We can be found on Twitter at the Hydean Way, and you can find me at Cookie Kit. I'm at Leslie GS. And I'm at Deuterium Ice. We are all at thehydeanway.com, where you can find previous episodes, links to things we talk about in the show, and our live play podcast, Heroes of the Hydean Way. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Plus, you can help us out by rating and reviewing the show. Drop us a holocom at talesatthydeanway.com. We're also on Facebook as Tales from the Hydean Way. If you like what we do and want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash thehydeanway. Or give us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash thehydeanway. <gasps> Sorry, I... You know that the broken wedding ring I mentioned before the show? Mm-hmm. I just kind of finished splitting it in half. Oh, no! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's not, by the way, this is, it's okay. This was, this was a filler wedding ring. This wasn't like a super fancy one. I've had it for years and I kind of wore all the metal off of it most of the apparently. Apparently. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was just a very particular poem. It's like, ah, okay. Hi, I'm not food. Please stop sitting on me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I I finished my dinner and I just needed more food. I wasn't sustained. Uh, Who's eating you? Oh, you have a cat. Yeah, I have cute. a cat. Sorry. <laughs> Hi, cat. Yeah. But she's right. You you shouldn't eat your owner because then you won't be fed later. Yeah. Yeah, like it's a set amount of food. <laughs> <laughs> this is just throwing this out, and Ben can delete this in the near future if you'd like. Well, it's not near but, future. Um, this is like halfway through January. <laughs> relatively near future, excuse me. I can't tell time, let's be honest. Well, yeah.